um, I always marvel how well trained we are with our chime. It's, it's uh, silence immediately once that chime comes on. So good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Um, my name is Paul Buckley, and I'm the, one of the pastors here. I get to bring the Word of God on most Sundays. And today I want to talk about the fatherhood of God. So we are normally in a series in Romans. We'll be back in that series next weekend. Uh, appropriately so, we'll be in chapter, actually, Brennan will be preaching. And then after that, we'll be, I'll be back in chapter 13. But Brennan will, uh, Norton will preach next week. I'm away visiting um, our sister church next week, uh, Crossway Church in Franklin, Mass. But we'll be back into Romans. But for now, we're taking a pause to uh, talk about the fatherhood of God on Father's Day. Uh, appropriately. So I'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we'll be keying off of the Lord's Prayer, as we call it there, so you can be turning there. Uh, that whole section actually is rich uh, on the fatherhood of God, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and this is such an important topic to talk about. Uh, today, uh, in our culture, uh, fatherhood is a questionable ideal. Uh, there's confusion over the roles of father or mother, and really confusion over the fundamental understanding of things such as gender and, and personal identity. Um, that's the culture we live in, uh, and it, as this trend would continue, we'll probably see a redefining of terms to denote parents actually on the FAFSA form right now. Uh, they no longer have you fill in father or mother. Uh, it's parent one, parent two as, as the options. I think they do include father and mother, but they have to say, Parent one, parent two. And that's the world we live in. Uh, there are realities, certainly, uh, that where that's an appropriate designation. But it's just an indication of the sort of change that's going on and the sort of confusion about the role of a mother or a father. And fatherhood is such an important topic. Um, fatherhood is actually rooted in the eternal trinity. God, the three in one. God has been father for eternity. And so fatherhood is not a, a cultural convention. It's not just a recent thing. It's not dependent on your human father. Um, and that's really important to get as we dig into this. Um, Father's Day can be both a, time, a day of blessing, but also a day of, of challenge for us because of our human fathers and their inadequacies. And what we're going to do today is actually look at our heavenly father, the perfect father, from whom all fathers derive their nature as fathers. This truth of the fatherhood of God is an essential aspect of the character of God. And I would say uh, an essential part of the very nature of the universe and what it means to be alive as his creations. This is no small topic. This is no topic just for one day out of the year. And so it's appropriate and I think even urgent that we take time today to dig into this topic of the fatherhood of God. What I and praying for, and what I will pray for in a moment, is just that we simply would understand this and experience the reality. God is interested not just that we would understand this rightly, but that we would experience it. He has promised, actually, for believers, the experience of his fatherhood. And so let's pray and ask God to teach us and transform us as we encounter the truth of the fatherhood of God. Father, we thank you that you are the eternal, perfect, glorious Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our great God, the one in three, the three in one. This comes from you. And Lord, we want to understand what it is to know you and to be your creations made in your image. And we need help, Lord. We are weak and we live in a culture that is confused. 
And so we ask you, Lord, as, as your word is taught and proclaimed today, would you grant us power, Holy Spirit, to understand what this means, to understand for us what it means to be a son or daughter of the Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you minister to us, that God of the universe cares enough about us that you would want to communicate to us the reality that you are our Father. So we might say from our own hearts, Abba, Father. We ask for this in power that we would encounter you today. We cannot do this of ourselves at all, so we cry out for your power and your presence and your help, and that you would be glorified through this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Let's take a look at the Lord's Prayer. We'll look at some of the verses around it as well, but this prayer that captures much of the essence of the fatherhood of God. And Jesus is teaching us to pray. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's Word, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This short and well-known section of Scripture is not a complete comprehensive revelation of the fatherhood of God, but a profound one. And it sits in the middle of a section of Scripture that's worth studying. And even today, maybe, take time to read through chapter 6 and all that's there. This verse is in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And this particular section, uh, verses 9 through 13, sits in the midst of 15 references to the fatherhood of God. Talking about what he's like. And Jesus bases so much of what he calls his disciples to believe and do on the reality of the fatherhood of God. And that's why it's worth digging into this section and meditating on, on these truths. I believe these five verses, in context with their surrounding verses, and really the entirety of Scripture presents a robust picture of what the fatherhood of God is. And there are three things I want to say, uh, perhaps the most uh, central, important aspects, uh, most descriptive aspects of what it means that he's our father. There's three things I want to talk about. First, that the fatherhood of, fatherhood of God means that he is the provider. He's the source of all good things. Secondly, the fatherhood of God means he is the ruler or overseer of all things. He is the king over all things, the overseer. Thirdly, the fatherhood of God means he is a person who pursues relationship. He is uh, deeply relational. So these three things, he's the provider, he's the overseer, he's personal. Excuse the corny acronym, but P-O-P -P spells pop, a way to remember your heavenly pop, your heavenly father. So we'll dig into this. And look, so first, God is provider. Um, throughout the scriptures, the uh, fatherhood in general is associated with being one who is a source of provision for a family. And this notion flows from God himself, who is the provider, the ultimate provider, the ultimate father, the ultimate source of, of supply for all of creation. Ephesians 3.15 speaks of him. It says... Of him from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He is the, the one who, who grants fatherhood and families. 
Uh, he is the, the source, ultimate source. He is the pattern of fatherhood uh, for us who are earthly fathers. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus calls us to address him as father and then to ask for his provision. And so we ask him, give us this day our daily bread. Why do we ask him that? Well, because he is the supplier of our daily bread. He is the only source, ultimately, of all good things. And so we ask him according to his fatherhood, according to his nature, according to his plan, according to this reality, give us today our daily bread, the things we need for our daily existence. And then we ask, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. He is the one who alone forgives us. And he calls us to forgiveness as well of others. He is the provider of forgiveness. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He is the one who is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign over all circumstances, all situations, all temptations, all realities that you deal with, all the things that you've dealt with this past week. He is in charge of those things. And he is the one who is there for you to supply your needs and to strengthen you and to help you. And so you can ask and I can ask, lead us not into temptation. Keep us from following uh, the, the evil inclinations of our own hearts, the, the evil temptations that are external in the world. And then deliver us from evil. This speaks of evil personified, the devil and his minions. Deliver us from this evil one who is against the Lord and against us. So we ask him for this sort of supply in the Lord's Prayer. And so right in the Lord's Prayer is this teaching about the nature of the Father. He is the one who provides us all things. So we ask for food, we ask for forgiveness, we ask for our needs, we ask for protection. To know the Father is to know Him as provider, the one who gives us all things. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things. From whom are all things. And for whom we exist. He is the provider of all things. He is sovereign over all things. This is so fundamental to the definition of God, the Father, the Creator, the Originator, the source of everything that is, including you. You exist here. You're here right now because the Father has created you. And all of your complexity and all of who you are and all of your situations, He is in, in control of that. He is the good Father. He's made you. He is the source of everything the provider, and he is amazingly good and generous and rich. So sad that for many of us, we take his amazing generosity and goodness for granted. We can live amidst amazing wealth all around us from him and not see it. And it's good to, to pause and, and to consider God's kindness, consider his provision, consider his blessing, consider his glory that's all around us in, in the created things and what he has made. You can look at many things in creation, actually, and you could spend eternity, I believe we will spend eternity, looking at his goodness in creation and what he's made. Just take a simple glass of water. Every glass of water contains more water molecules in that glass than all the stars in the sky and all the sand on the seashore and the whole universe. Just in that one glass of water. 10 to the 24th molecules, in case you're wondering, roughly. 
Each one a miracle unto itself. Each molecule a miracle. Water is unlike any other common liquid in its properties. It floats when solidifies. That's a good thing. If it sank, the fish would not survive. It floats. Usually things when they go to solid get denser and they sink. Water floats. It can absorb many, many different molecules. It has amazing heating and cooling properties. It's, it's really fantastic for its ability to carry uh, heat and to, to thus have heating and cooling properties. Um, it can be recycled again and again and again without getting damaged. Uh, it gets recycled by passing through things like sand or simply evaporating. Um, it's kind of gross, but it's, it's real that along different rivers in the world, they will draw water out of the river in the city. They will use the water for different things. Uh, and then they will pass the water through the bodies of the people in that city and it goes down the toilet and it goes to the treatment plant and it gets treated and, and the water molecules get removed from the other things attached to them and it gets dumped back in the river. And then the next city down the river takes the same water and uses it and does the same thing. It sounds gross, but actually it's clean water because of this glorious property of water, its ability to absorb things, but also to let them go. It's, it's just the right strength of, of its bonding. It's an amazing uh, molecule. It can float in air. It can travel underground. It fills the oceans, rivers, and lakes of the world. It works wonderfully well in transporting the nutrients living things need. It's essential to physical life and health. And when it's cool and clear, it tastes so good. And when it reflects the blue of the sky or the gold of the sun, it's beautiful to behold. And that's just simply water. We could spend a lifetime going through all the glorious gifts of the Father. And this is just a picture of, of what the Father is like. Water is just a picture of His goodness. We, our lives are surrounded by His goodness and His glory. And all the things we see, things around us, food, clothing, occupations, the economy, art, society, homes, music, recreation, sunny days, family, friends, all come from the Father of lights who provides every good and perfect gift as James 1 tells us. The Father wants us to live in this reality and enjoy this reality. That's the power, actually, of thanksgiving and meditating on the things of God is to remind ourselves of this reality of, the God, of God the Father's goodness. My family uh, owns a house in Plymouth, Mass., uh, my extended family, um, and it's a beautiful log home on a lake. Back in 1992, my parents bought five acres of woods and defunct cranberry bog. My dad retired that year and became the general contractor for the building of this log home. He invested himself in the home. He chose the design, the layout, the position of the house, the landscaping, the furnishing, and the floors, and everything, and became a gathering place for his children and grandchildren. He spent countless weekends and days maintaining and enjoying the house, and the house is full of memories that exist to this day. And when we're, when we're there, I'm reminded of my dad. My dad passed in 2011. It's as, it, as if he's still alive. It's, it's as if I expect to find him in the workroom or sitting there watching the stock market report in the morning. The house is his creation, and it's a wonderful gift to our family from my earthly father. So it is with creation from your heavenly father. You live in the house that the father built. 
And His glory and goodness is all around you in so many ways. He is the provider. Just through creation alone, that shows us enough. But even more importantly, more profoundly, as glorious as His creation is in all these things, not only does He provide common grace to all people, both the wicked and the righteous, by the way, but even more so, He provides saving grace through His Son, the gift of His Son to His people. The provision of the Son is infinitely, infinitely more glorious and fantastic than anything in creation. The Father has provided His Son for us, for you. If you are a believer, you've put your faith in Christ, crucified and risen. You've turned from sin and self to, to, to trust in Christ. Then you belong to Him and you can know that He gave His very Son for you. And his father's heart was not operating just the day that you believed, but scripture teaches us clearly that his heart for us goes back to eternity before time began, before creation itself. From his place in creation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in his great love, in his fatherhood, in his love for you, he set his affection on you before you were made. And he knew what would happen. He knew what you would do. He knew the ways that you would rebel against him and, and your stubborn rebellion and foolishness in mine as well. And yet he set his affection on you before time began and decided in, in conjunction with the Son and with the Holy Spirit to make a way for you to rescue you from your sin, that you would be forgiven and reconciled to him, that he could know you as a son or daughter forever and that you could know him as your heavenly father. That's the Father's love. It's that grand. It's that amazing. It's that eternal. It's the ultimate foundation for our confidence that He has loved us. Therefore, I belong to Him. And in His plan, He knew what He had to do with the Son and with the Spirit. He knew that to purchase you, to rescue you, would cost the blood of the Son of God. Your salvation does not ultimately rest on your response and faith, as important as that is, but something far better. This eternal covenant agreement the Father and the Son and the Spirit made. That the Son would come and live a righteous life as the perfect human being, the only one who was faithful to fulfill our righteousness, the only one who loved the Father with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength, all his life. The only one that loved his neighbor as himself. He lived the perfect life as we all ought to do, as we know we ought to do, yet we fall short. And then he offered up that perfect, righteous, glorious life in your place. When he went to the cross, it was part of the plan of the Father to not just generally die for sins, but to die for your sins. Because the Father set His affection on you before time began. And so the Son was sent for you. The blood of the Holy Son of God in the flesh was given for you. There's no greater provision than that. And through that blood, and through the agreement with the Holy Spirit, that He would in time awaken you to understand this truth and trust in Him, put your faith in Christ. Through this now you are clean, you are forgiven, you are counted as a son and daughter, you are treated as if you had lived the righteous life Christ lived. You have the same inheritance that he has. 
There is no greater provision as glorious as creation is. And we can ponder the goodness and glory of creation forever and ever. We'll never be able to grasp the fullness of the Father's love and provision in giving His very Son for you and for me. And He wants us to live in this reality. He wants us to ground ourselves in this reality. He wants this truth to be the ultimate truth that we live in day by day. There are so many other things that can distract us. So many other things that indeed we need to address in life. There are challenging situations, there are trials, there are needs, but there's no more important contemplation than the reality that the Father has provided the Son. The Son shed His blood for us. We are forgiven. We are clean. We belong to the family. He is for us. And so we've already seen in our series in Rome, in the Romans, the wonderful truths that come with this. Paul says in Romans 8, in line with these truths, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, brothers and sisters, inclusive term. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is the truth of the fatherhood of God. This is the truth of the provision of his son for us. This is who he is. And this is the truth that he wants to to use in your life to transform you, to transform who you are, to transform how you live and how you think about life, how you think about God, how you think about others. He wants you to live in this reality. Now, I understand as we talk about the fatherhood of God, there are different things that maybe keep us from living in this truth. I understand that there are earthly fathers that have failed. Matter of fact, every single earthly father has fail to mirror our Heavenly Father. This is a reality and this is a difficulty and it is an obstacle for, for many of us perhaps. I think so. But it doesn't depend on your earthly father. It depends on the reality of your Heavenly Father. And God in His love for you has not only provided the Son to shed His blood to pay for your sins so that in Him you could be a son and daughter forgiven and beloved and live in that love. But he's provided the Holy Spirit to take these words and these truths and to apply them to your heart in a powerful way that goes beyond your natural ability to understand them. And it's my prayer in this message, according to the word, that you would, would experience the Spirit's ministry to your heart. It says in, in Romans 8, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear related to your old life and sin and and trying to obey the law and please God in that way. You did not receive that. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. You've received, if you're a believer, the spirit of adoption. He is in you. And his ministry to you is to work in you. That you would cry out from your own heart. From the depths of your heart to the Father. Abba, Father. 
Not just father in the formal way, but Abba in the personal way that you would call your dad. So basically it was the term, the familiar term for a dad in Aramaic. And the Spirit works in you. Helps you know and be assured that these things are yours so you can say to the father, Dad, you're my ultimate dad. I'm grateful for my earthly dad. My earthly dad was great in many ways. But I've had to learn that he's not my ultimate dad. That our heavenly dad is our ultimate dad. And I need to find what I need in our heavenly dad. And so the spirit comes to grant us that power. And so maybe one thing to do in light of this message today. And maybe one thing to do for Father's Day for, for you. Or Father's Day gift for you to receive. Is to ask the Holy Spirit grant me power. To better grasp. What it means that I'm a child of the Father and that you're my dad, my heavenly dad. You're my Abba, Father. He is the provider in all these ways. He is also the overseer. So second point, overseer. The Lord's Prayer starts out, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He not only provides, but he rules over his provision. He is the king, the ultimate king. He presides over all. To be a father is to not only provide, but to preside, to oversee for the, the benefit of those you oversee for ultimate good. And so our heavenly father does this. He is the ultimate king. Psalm 145, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So tied together in Psalm 145 is the fact that he is the king who oversees and he is the provider. These things go together. He is ultimately in control of all things. We've learned from Romans 11. The truth where it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has, been, uh, has given a gift to him that he might be repaid, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. He is the king over all. Even the Son and the Holy Spirit, co-equals with God in their very nature, come under his leadership. God the Father is the one who ultimately reigns and rules over all. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us this. And, and speaking of Jesus and his work, as Jesus reigns right now at the right hand of the Father, uh, extending his reign through the gospel among his people, among all nations, completing, he will complete that reign in every way. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Speaking of that, 1 Corinthians 15, 28, it says, When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God, the Father, that God may be all in all. Christ is reigning now, fulfilling his purpose, so that the Father might be glorified ultimately. That he might turn it all over to his heavenly Father and say, Father, here's the kingdom that I have reigned over. I've completed the work that you've called me to do. And here it is, Father, for you. You are the king. This is who he is. He is reigning himself over all things. To fulfill his perfect purpose in creation. He knows what he's doing. 
Sometimes we struggle with that, don't we? Sometimes we feel like, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> Doesn't seem like uh, much of the kingdom's going on here, but the scriptures affirm clearly he presides over all things. He's in control. He's working his plan. He extends his reign. He has written out, as it talks about in Revelation 5, all the plans on that scroll. All the plans he has for, for completion of his work. And the son alone is worthy to unroll that scroll and fulfill all those things. He is in complete control as king, as the sovereign one. He reigns over all. He has a plan. And by the way, that plan for his kingdom reign involves great blessings, great miracles. It involves the greatest miracle, as we heard about last week, the miracle of regeneration, that God in his plan by the power of the Holy Spirit works in people's lives and gives them power to be totally changed in how they think about the things of God, how they think ultimately about the good news of Christ. If you are a believer, you will have received the greatest miracle because he's worked in you that change of heart at some point in time, whether it was discernible or not. For some of us, it was dramatic. For me, it was very dramatic. Went from one direction to the other in a matter of an instant to put your faith in Christ. That, that, that miracle is fantastic. God works miracles like that. He works blessings. He works provision. But he also, in his sovereign plan, works through trial and temptation. And difficulty. It's not that he's absent in those things. It's not that, well, he's reigning here when I'm blessed and, and when there's good things that go on. No, he's reigning over here when you are struggling. When you don't get what you need or feel like you need. Even when bad things happen. He's still reigning over that to, to use all things for good. Paul says to the Corinthians, actually, it's really interesting, the Corinthians were a rough bunch, and uh, trying to understand in their culture, which is probably a lot like our culture, by the way. Um, we're trying to understand these different truths, and Paul's trying to teach them. And one of the things that he says to them is, he says, all things are yours. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you'd want to say that to a group that was tempted to be licentious and kind of abusive with all the good things that God had given them. But it didn't keep Paul from saying that. He told them, all things are yours. How could he possibly say that? What does that mean? Well, who's your father? God the Father. Who's your savior and king? Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given him. He rules and reigns over all. The Father is sovereignly in control of all things. So all things are yours. Everything in creation under his lordship, is used for your ultimate benefit as his precious son or daughter. Even the difficulty. Don't mistake the discipline of the Lord for God's displeasure. He loves you. And he disciplines those he loves. And he uses hardship to work good. That's part of his oversight and his provision. Theologian Garrett Burkhauer says this, if we could put the quote up. God's providence, so his provision and his overseeing of his provision, God's providence is not only a matter of divine invincibility and power, but of the invincibility and power of his love. This is the comfort that we stand at the disposal of a merciful 
heavenly Father to whom we can with confidence abandon ourselves. He makes an eternal covenant of grace with us and adopts us for his children and heirs and therefore will provide us with every good thing and avert all evil or turn it to our profit. This is what it means to live under the fatherhood of God. Finally, and just as importantly, he is personal. God the Father is personal. We see this in the Lord's Prayer, of course. We address him, our Father. Our Father. And it's the term Father. The familiar term for a male figurehead. God ultimately is not male or female as we understand him, but he is Father as we understand us. But he is Father. He is personal. And actually that, that uh, as I was talking about, that section of Scripture is full of, of this truth of his personalness. We're told to, to pray in such a way in the Lord's Prayer, uh, in verse 8, right before what we read, it says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. You don't have to keep on like yelling to get his attention or repeating his name or something. You don't have to follow some formula. You don't have to do some special thing to get his attention. Your father knows what you need. He is actually watching you. He knows your needs before you ask him. And then later on, uh, as it's talking, I think it's about fasting. It says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So you don't need to do your fasting out in public. Draw attention to yourself or to what you're doing. Your father who sees in secret, he sees you in secret. He sees you every moment of the day in a personal way. He is intensely relational. He actually, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the idea of relationship and community comes from him, not from us. We're made in his image. Thus, we, we are relational too, and we are to live in community. But this is who the Father is. He's intensely personal. Yes, he's transcendent. He's glorious. He's holy, 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 beyond anything we can ever grasp. He is so different from us in so many ways, and yet he is very much like us. He is intensely relational. He is a personal father. He knows you and he wants you to know him. He wants you to, to walk with him. He wants you to pray to him. The Our Father says, Our Father. Jesus tells us how to pray. And, and there's nothing wrong with praying to Jesus or the Spirit of God. They are three in one. But the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father. The Father wants to hear your prayers. The Father wants to walk with you. The Father wants you to have a daily ongoing relationship with Him. He is intensely personal. He knows you. He loves you. He set His affection on you. Would you walk with Him and trust Him as the ultimate Father? Jesus speaks of His Father this way in John 17. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you. Before the world existed. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. This is Christ's relationship with his Father. And we're invited into the same relationship. To know him as Father. To know the Son. This is eternal life. To know the Father and the one true Son, Jesus Christ. Christ came to make it so we could know the Father this way. 
The objective of your salvation is not just forgiveness, not just freedom from sin, as important as that is. Ultimately, those things are there that you might experience relationship with God. Adoption as his son or daughter. To live in that reality and to live in it now. Yes, the fullness of it will come in time when Christ returns. And uh, an incredible degree for all of us as we likely will be with the Lord before he returns. We'll experience glorification in a great measure of what it means. But it's also something for us now, today. He wants you to live in this adoption Under the Father. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Doria Pamphili Landi family. It's a royal Italian family of vast wealth in the billions. They own uh, a thousand room Palazzo Pamphili in Rome and the Palazzo dei Principi in Genoa, a country estate with more than 650 works of art, including paintings by many famous uh, medieval painters and Renaissance painters. You've probably heard of the ship, maybe, the Andrea Doria, um, that's named after one of the famous family members. Why do I tell you all this? Well, the last of the line of the family was Princess Oriera Doria Pamphili Landi. She married a Royal Naval commander named Frank George Pogson in London in 1958, and they were unable to have children, apparently. So they adopted two children from a British orphanage. The children didn't even have last names, Mary and Archibald. That's all they were named. But they were adopted, adopted from this orphanage, welcomed from poverty and obscurity into this noble family, as if they had belonged to it all along. And now, 50 years later, there on the left-hand side, are Jacini and Jonathan, the royal heirs to all the wealth of this prestigious and historic Italian family. It sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? But it's true. It's amazing. And you might think, well, why couldn't I have had something like that? Well, you actually do, and it's way better. Your father is way richer than any billionaire. He has way more creative works than all the art pieces throughout all of history. He loves you more than any parent could ever love you. You are safe in him, safer than any family could ever provide for you. All these things are yours in the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Spirit. This is who God is. This is his nature. He loves being a father like this. He delights in you. He delights in having adopted you. And he wants you to live in this reality every day of your life and then for eternity in his presence. This is the reality of the fatherhood of God, the reality of the gospel of the Son, the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I conclude, let me just challenge you right now just to simply ask your Heavenly Father to show you more what it means to belong to Him as a son or daughter. And ask Him to give you power to overflow in that reality to tell others about this truth. Because in His generosity, there is a countless number that He wants to live in this reality as well. So just pray those two ways for yourself and then the overflow to others. And then uh, take a minute to do that and Pastor Toby will transition us to communion.